Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what me say, but me I go say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't wanna know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now. I tell you no lie, when I see a film about slavery, water comes to... Peace to you. And welcome to the Abolitionist Daily. It is Friday, February 27th, 2015. And in the overnight hours, since the last time I spoke with you good people, we've had even more events shaking out in the prison plantation system. So we will be discussing that today in depth, uh, spoken with a few of the members of various uh, movements that I'm personally a part of that have uh, assured me that they want to call in and speak to us today. Uh, sister from the Free Mississippi Movement. Um, we also got brothers from Free Alabama who are working on a uh, a prison work stoppage that's uh, supposed to be starting this weekend, I believe. Uh, we'll get more details on that and and share those with you so you can share your, uh, show your support. Uh, if these brothers and sisters are willing to take life and death chances on the inside and potentially add to their time and add to their suffering while they're on the inside, just trying to get basic human rights to survive their time on the prison plantation, the least we can do is share the information and train up the general society to understand that this is real and this is war against our people and that it's just flat out human rights violations. It's not even humane treatment in the least bit. Um, and across the country, um, not only Alabama, where, uh, again, this is uh, St. Clair we're talking about in particular, but uh, a couple of other reports coming out of uh, South Carolina, Lee Correctional, um, I understand they've had some sort of a riot breakout down there. Um, I heard audio of what was supposed to have been a brother that was on the inside, uh, contraband cell phone able to talk to news reporters, local TV news reporters about what was going on. And he gave a report of uh, all the things we discussed about Wallachie County and about all the prisons and uh, across this country, you know, rampant abuses, torture, starvation, horrible food conditions, no medical treatment and prison slavery. So, again, like we saw in Wallace County, when these things were reported and there was no work stoppage, they were just complaining. But when they stopped working, started striking against the prison slavery, then it becomes a riot. And then come the guns and the dogs and, the you know, the boys and the helicopters, and they're ready to, to fire on these people. So we'll be discussing uh, those matters in depth today. 
Um, again, looking forward to uh, to hearing from some of the soldiers that are that are on the front lines. Um, uh, some new to the abolitionism movement, some that have been a part of this for you know since before I ever came along. So uh, it's really accounting it a, a blessing to be able to contact and connect with so many people. Um, I got the call of action, call to action this morning myself. Well, actually, over the last couple of days, we have been discussing it, and and I missed the conference call that we did have concerning it. But through um, one of the groups that I'm a member of, also. Um, is the Ida B. Wells Coalition Against Prison Slavery. And uh, Sister Jonina and uh, Brother Lorenzo uh, Kimboa Irvin organizing that and bringing us together. So, I mean, these are just more and more people that we meet within the movements and make these connections. And this is what you have to do as the listener is is join up with these groups, join us with the uh, move to abolish 21st century slavery. We added new members just this morning from some of the connections we're able to make. Join us uh, on this on the Abolitionist Daily on the Facebook page. Join us on the New Abolitionist Radio Facebook page. Email us if I've, I've talked to a surprising number of people in the short time this program has been on air who only uh, communicate through email. So our email is pretty easy: New Abolitionist Radio at Gmail dot com. New Abolitionists, like plural, because it's it's us. New Abolitionists Radio at gmail.com. Send me an inquiry, whatever stories you were looking for or information you wanted, or if you just want to correspond through the emails or what have you, that's something that I'm going to have to work on for the benefit of the listeners is to establish a, a, a more thorough and responsive email campaign as well so we can get as many people in that can get it. Because, I mean, I know plenty of people that are that way are not on social media at least not regularly, but they do check their email pretty regularly and they will stay up to date if they could get that info. So uh, that will be uh, up and running here pretty soon, and I will be giving you the details of that as that goes along. Um, but in addition to the uh, prison plantation riot stories that are going across the country, again, Willassie County last weekend, um, Texas, uh, St. Clair, uh, not necessarily considering it a riot, but we're telling you this is a peaceful protest, and we know the people organizing and are part of it, so uh, keep an eye on your news as when they stop working, we'll see how the authorities handle it, as we've seen in other cases across the country when they stop working and they call it a riot and they go in with justification for force. So we're hoping that that doesn't come to pass in this case. But we've already gotten reports that the wardens down there have been upping their show of force and intimidation tactics, pulling out the riot squads. So we'll be talking about that, the um, the people in charge. I mean, I'm at the point now, we, we've got to call these people out. Uh, people of color have no more business today in positions as overseers, slave drivers, all this type of thing over the prison system than we did 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 400 years ago. We've got no business involved in this. We've got no business helping to facilitate the activities of the slave drivers, helping them to generate their profits so we can get our little extra rations. It's ridiculous. So we'll talk about those stories in depth uh, by all means. Um, got a 
I mean, the title says it's a chilling account, and they, and they didn't, they don't, they're not selling it short. Uh, listen to a video yesterday of a young man locked in the Chatham County Detention Center. He wasn't quite in prison yet. He was uh, in the local county jail awaiting his trial, arrested for a nonviolent drug offense. And he went in there. He already had a bad heart condition, and he told them that. And they did nothing the time he was in the jail. And his few phone calls he was able to make to his family and uh, visitations was begging and pleading for them to get someone to help him because he was watching himself die. The calls escalate in the degree of, of his trauma and terror as he's realizing his body is shutting down, as he's looking at his body parts, his feet swelling up, and realizing his pulse is slowing down, and he's in pain constantly, and he hasn't had any medication, and he's begging his family, mother and father sitting there on the phone, crying with him, and he's crying and begging, please just get somebody to help me. And uh, their medical provider is Corizon. So one of these 660-plus lawsuits that they're facing, they just had one more added to them in the death of this young man. Because by the time he finally did get someone to do something, the nurses finally broke protocol. A couple people finally did connect with their humanity and just say, screw it, you know, job be damned, whatever. This man is not going to die on my watch. And they finally got him to a hospital. He was in a coma. and died so we'll talk about that story and again connecting that to um what has gone on uh with horizon across this country and why they're currently uh part of the the new secretary of uh department of corrections down there in florida julie jones why she's talking about tearing up the contracts or at the very least renegotiating them because they're florida's not paying them a billion and a half dollars to kill up all these people remember florida's got over 300 deaths in custody in one year uh several of these states arizona had some 60 or 70 deaths in one year that was part of how aclu came in and sued them over health care california texas alabama and another state we're going to be talking about or another prison we're going to be talking about today as far as the death situation goes is tallahatchie down there in Alabama, next door to the women's prison, Tutwiler. And we discussed at Tutwiler the deaths and the rapes and the trading sex for for tampons and basic toiletries. We talked about when the one guard did get in trouble and he turned coat on the rest of the guards and talked about how they make the female inmates go do a strip strip tease and perform for them. I mean, it's just a real sick operation going on. And uh, we talked about Alabama on this program. We talked about Alabama being, I think it was number three in overcrowding, 180% capacity or something like that. So we've got problems running rampant. We'll talk a little bit about Alabama's uh, prison labor system, slavery system down there. But um, in uh, at, at um, Tallahatchie, it's a CCA prison, Corrections Corporation of America. And um, they've had four deaths in the last two months. And from the reports, they were all preventable incidents. So I don't know where the line is drawn for um, negligent 
you know, homicide uh, due to negligence or some kind of complicity in uh, in 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 what happens, and maybe someone is uh, guilty of manslaughter, perhaps. I don't know, but we'll talk about those stories and lay it lay it out there for you to be able to see for yourself, and uh, you judge for yourself. Um, and we're going to wrap up with a, a just a fallout from the Chicago PD black sites. Some new articles have come out. Uh, reaching out to some some of the witnesses that are now seeing it's something that they can get someone to listen to them about. So they're coming back around to the media who's willing to report on it. So we've got some new information on the uh, Chicago black sites, um, a place where a murder occurred in the care of the Chicago Police Department. And uh, the new word now is to speak of this as though this is this is the rolling out of the NDAA that we knew about uh January 1, 2012, when it said that, you know, that you could use these kind of techniques in on in a domestic capacity, considering a person to be a terrorist threat. You could you could indefinitely, you know, detain people, potentially torture people and I guess kill people, too. So we'll go back. We'll uh, revisit that story and um, talk about some of the the, the um, updates on that. Our uh, unexplainable black death profile today is uh, Brother Tommy Yancey, uh, 32-year-old U.S. military veteran, served a couple of tours in uh, in the foreign wars that we've got going on around the, the world. His life was good enough for um, good enough for helping them spread imperialism and steal resources and further enrich the defense department cronies, all the big contractors, and continue to expand our uh, military budget every year and and get all these people big bonuses and all kind of money. And even though we know that they contract quite a bit of of slavery, uh, of labor through the slavery system in the prisons, creating bulletproof vests, battle helmets, certain types of munitions, certain types of, of uh, computer uh, components for bombs, and various other things, all sorts of materials that they put out there for the military through the prison system. So uh, we will talk about that at length, uh, just get get his story out there, because he was stopped in a traffic stop in his uh, hometown in Northern California, Typical traffic stop. Pulled him out of the car. Five police officers beat him to death. It was all caught on camera. There's a lady standing, you know, across the street with a cell phone, and there's several people that stopped their cars and were around the police begging him to stop beating this man. He was on his knees. It was never at any point in the video anything that showed where he threatened them or, or did anything that warranted, you know, being attacked. But he is a, he was a father, a husband. Uh, outstanding member of the community. So add another one to the off-quoted statistics from cable news and in, in particular conservatives and racist white supremacists and uh, black racism apologists, proxy racists, Negro white sup- supremacy talking point parrots, puppets, and ignorant people in general who love to talk about how 70% of black children are raised in single-parent homes or 60% of black children are born 
out of wedlock or all these different kind of ways of trying to make it look like there's criminality and deviant behavior and lack of accountability and irresponsibility and and all kinds of crazy, wicked things going on in the black community, which justifies hyper-criminalization, over-policing, criminalizing culture, clothing, breaking up groups of two or more gathered together, speaking to one another, jump-out squads in the nation's capital police department, Washington, D.C. cops, jump-out squads where 18-year-old kids complain of I mean, who would I who would I report this to? It's the police, and nobody's going to do anything about it, but they've done this to me at least ten times. Jumping out on our kids, harassing them, stopping frisk with 2.4 million arrests, only resulting in 3% or 2.4 million stop and frisk incidents, I'm sorry, only resulting in 3% of those being any type of arrest at all. And out of that 3% of 2.4 million actually being arrests, an even smaller percentage than that turn into convictions of any type. And all of those convictions, well, 90, 90 plus percent of those convictions were brought about by plea deals. And you're talking about the state of New York, city New York City, where people get sent to Rikers just for getting arrested and can sit like Khalif Browder in custody for three years and never face trial. So when you've got a 90% plea deal rate, that does not indicate guilt of any sort, by any stretch of the imagination. That indicates people being held with bail that they could not afford to pay, facing charges that were not even clear, clear cut, they don't know, with public defenders that don't have time and don't make it around and can't help them out. And prosecutors that go to the court on your date, on your supposed court date, and tell the judge, I can't do it today. I've got a more important case. Let's set this forward for six months. And then, boom, you got another six months. So maybe the second or third time that happens, when you could just get somebody's ears, you know what, whatever they're offering, just give it to me because I need to get out of here. I did have a life. And we know brothers and sisters right now facing court and facing time and what have you behind pro peaceful protesting there's people still that got their lives wrecked behind occupy wall street so you know when you start going in with black lives matter and prison uh slavery and going in talking about police violence and these types of things you, you know you're gonna face the dirtiest tactics they got up their sleeves so that's uh gonna be our our uh Unexplainable Black Death Profile. And our abolitionist of the day is a brother that uh, began an organization called Just, Just Leadership USA. They've got a program that is designed to cut incarceration in half by, I believe it's 2030. I don't necessarily agree on that date and on that number, but I love that he's doing something. He's formerly incarcerated individual himself. He's recruited uh, leaders from around the country to be a part of his organization, and they have an extensive training uh, program where they're teaching people and training people up to be leaders in 
the uh, reform movement, if not abolitionist movement, maybe they don't know it yet or they haven't gotten the full message yet, but basically uh, abolitionist movement associated with abolitionist movement. Uh, brother's name is Glenn E. Martin. He will be our abolitionist of the day. And uh, that's that's how it's going down today. So, again, this is Friday. We've had a long week of sordid and ridiculous stories of evil of what goes on in America behind these prison walls where I suppose people feel that it's okay to torture folks and beat folks up and rape people and starve people and end up murdering people. It's okay to force people to do slave labor for little to no pay, 37 cents an hour. 11 cents an hour. And you know these people have child support. You know these people have families at home that you snatched them away from. You know these people in a lot of cases have huge fines, court costs, and fees they have to pay. You know this is the case. But uh, you don't care. <laughs> you just want to get what you can get out of it. So there's all sorts of federal work programs and state work programs and private prison owning companies that have corporate contracts to provide all sorts of labor and services. And when these people get fed up with being sick, when they get sick and tired of being sick for real, and they don't have any sort of, of way to remedy what's going wrong, then the only thing they have is to withdraw their bodies from the slavery. And they have to force the hand of the slave driver. Because, see, we don't see the rights. We don't see it called rights when people are protesting the food which is full of maggots and weeks and months out of date. We don't see that called riots. We don't even see it mentioned in the news in the least bit. When people are complaining about prison rape, it becomes a funny movie. It's a, it's a movie plot. Kevin Hart gets a screenplay out, and it's a movie about him teaching a, a white bread white dude about a, don't be afraid of going to prison where they're going to rape you. I can teach you how to get hard, and everybody laughs at the jokes when these people are talking about being raped, men and women. You do realize America is the planet's leading rape nation, due in fact because of our 2.3 million people we have incarcerated, and we cycle through 20 million people at least a year through all forms of our judicial system. You could get it in jail. Overnight, the county, the city jail, state prison, federal prison, private prison. Hell, you can go in as a, a, a parolee and get caught up in a day. And, it, and, and it's just prevalent and it's just acceptable. But this is not anything that the news covers. It took two years for Darren Rainey's story to get out of Florida about being boiled alive until his flesh fall, fell off of his body. It took two years 
Julie Brown down there with Miami Herald leading the charge. Putting out these stories again and again, week in, week out. Didn't get much national press. Nobody was really too worked up about it. And more and more deaths in custody. And it just doesn't make the national news. It just doesn't break through to people. But but then when these people withdraw their bodies and they don't go do this slave labor, then all of a sudden it's a national news report. It makes the national news. You start to see Reports coming out of Texas, reports coming out of California, reports coming out of Washington State, reports coming out of Alabama, reports coming out of Georgia. And they tell you it's a riot. And they give you pictures of fires being set and they show you guards running to the gates with guns drawn and dogs and helicopters and dozens and dozens of of, uh, emergency response vehicles, big trucks and cars and everything. They got the whole show out there. And we know, because we know the people involved in these situations, we know the people that are connected to the people that are in there, we know what's really happening. They stopped working. They stopped the slavery for a day, two days. Really, usually the first day, in comes the guns and the, and the, and the jump-out boys. And it makes national news like there's a riot going on. Their armed response to work stoppage is misconstrued as Hostages being taken, fires being set, inmate on inmate violence, and just on and on as all the different versions of the story come out. But we talk to the actual people, and they tell us what is going on. When the information gets out to media outlets that are not necessarily the mainstream, then we hear the stories from the real people. So that's what we're talking about today is the news stories from the media. And in one case, the situation going on in uh, in South Carolina, they were actually able to get a phone call from someone that identified himself as being one of the brothers that was inside the prison. So I just have to take his word for it, I suppose, until we can get a better witness. But this gentleman had a contraband phone, and we're not able to provide the audio for you from the actual news story. But he went into the – he didn't give him his name. He gave him some you know, pseudonym just to call him by. But he, he went into telling them that the reports that were given of hostages being taken were actually of a 17-year-old, a 19-year-old, and two young 20-year-olds um, – and I don't know what happened to them or, or why they were being held, you know, aside or whatever, but this was about the conditions. And he says that one of the guards attacked an inmate, which is typical, and they just they didn't want to take it that day. Some sort of a search and, and it turned into a fight and he, he fought back. And it the other inmates were ready to have his back and it started to escalate and They've been complaining there, he says, of sour food, inedible food, rotten food, maggots and food. They've been complaining there of medical problems and no medical staff seeing anybody for anything, anytime, anywhere. 
They've been complaining of heightened intimidation and violence from the guards for years. But when you hear the media report from it, it's just one story. This is a WLTX-19 on your side. And they're reporting from Lee County, South Carolina. It says, correction officials say a group of inmates attacked officers at Lee Correctional Institution Thursday, triggering a standoff that lasted almost nine hours. Just after 9 p.m., corrections officials say their emergency team secured a dorm at the maximum security prison located near the town of Bishopville. Corrections Department spokesman Stephanie Givens says the incident began around noon when an officer was trying to search an inmate. What happened next is unclear, but Givens says multiple inmates uh, assaulted a total of seven officers. At no point were any officers taken hostage. All the officers were taken outside, taken to outside medical facilities and have been released. Givens says two inmates were evaluated by the prison medical staff and do not require additional treatment. The incident remains under investigation. So these are the, the media stories that they'll let out. This is the AP story that's going to lead on it or whatever and, and talk about it. When we come back from the break, we're going to look at South Carolina and a few other incidents that have occurred, uh, not only at Lee County, but at some other facilities uh, there in the state. Um, we're going to look at the, the, the work shutdowns and the riots that have resulted in this type of thing and how the administration from the governor down in that state uh, appears to be trying to cover these things up. And um, that's something that obviously we can't allow. So you're listening to the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. We'll uh, get deeper into this story, and we'll look forward to hearing from you. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For live programming schedules, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. We are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is your host, Johan and Elia, part of the Black Talk Radio family, part of the new Abolitionist family. And we've been discussing, and we will be discussing in depth today, the prison riots, as they're being called, that are popping off around the country, some getting at least some news coverage. Others being completely buried in the news cycle. But these are human beings. These are people. You're looking at facilities typically at least 500 people, up to two, three, four thousand people on average. And when these things are going down on these kind of scales, I mean, these are effectively plantations of today. It's what they are. It's effectively a plantation. So you've got thousands of lives in your hands. You've got thousands of people who need medical care, who need basic basic things they need to live and survive, food and clothing. That may sound like a lot because they're convicts, so I know that's that's really hard for a lot of people nowadays to just want to give them some, give them the basic food they need, sh- shelter that's reasonable for them to live in. Since Alabama is so overcrowded, and since most of these states are are all over capacity, you're not even in your own cell anymore. Most of these people are existing in 
con, uh, converted gymnasiums, tent cities like uh, uh, Wallace, Kevlar tents, just like if you go see, you know, Ringland Brothers or something. And the wildlife comes right in and lives right there with you inside inside your prison. You're you're in a in a tent with two hundred other men with two or three feet of space in between you and the next guy. And scorpions and spiders and mosquitoes and flies and whatever else can, can come in through the through the cracks and the openings in the tent and live in there with you. And you eat rotted food and you can't see any type of medical profess, uh, professional for any reason. But you have to hit the plantation every day. So that's what we're seeing across the country. What we're uh, going to do, I'll give you the number. Uh, please call in if you have questions or comments. Uh, area code is 712-775-7035. And our access code is 367-526-POUND. You hit star 6 and then 1 and you'll be uh, brought into the into the call uh, and it looks like we do have uh, have a call online right now let me see if this is someone that was trying to, to comment or ask question oh nope that's all that's not there let's try this one caller are you there hello well maybe not okay well I just saw a couple of uh, calls that popped up there so just wanted to give them an opportunity. Again, if you want to uh, call in and discuss these matters, 712-775-7035, access code 367-526-POUND, hit star 6 and then 1, and you will be in the caller's queue free to comment. So, again, we were talking about before the break the uh, news story, the uh, official news story that come out of their local news. Um discussing what had gone on in South Carolina at Lee Correctional Institute and a pretty safe canned story. Uh, inmate was getting searched and then we don't know what happened. And then we know that uh, several guards were taken for treatment and everybody was fine. They got brought back. There was a couple of inmates that uh, were treated, but they were fine. There's nobody hurt. Nothing really happened. There's nothing to see here. Just keep it moving. Continuing, the story says, for hours, armed guards could be seen standing on the roof of the prison and walking on the grounds for much of the afternoon. Several law enforcement vehicles were seen entering the facility with their sirens and lights on. The state law enforcement division also sent investigators to the scene to assist. So they brought in, they brought in everybody they had. Meanwhile, a man claiming to be an inmate inside called News 19 as the situation unfolded and said that a group of prisoners were holding other inmates hostage. The inmate also sent News 19 inmate uh, images from a cell phone that appeared to show damage inside the building and two other people being held against their will. The Corrections Department did not confirm if any of the statements made by that prisoner were true. Some News 19 viewers have posted on social media sites wondering how an inmate has a cell phone in the first place. Well, for years we've reported on the problem of inmates sneaking contraband, particularly cell phones, into this particular facility. And the difficulty corrections officials have had in preventing those devices from getting inside. The problem wasn't just inside the prison. It says News 19 spoke with a woman who came to Lee Correctional on Thursday morning to pick her son up. He's getting ready to get sent home. It says she was told that she could see him within the next 10 minutes. 
So she stopped. She went away to go get gas right quick and fill up the tank of gas, and then they turned around and go home. And when she came back, she was told the prison was on lockdown and nobody was being let in or let out. Next thing, she says, the next thing we know, we got people running around, and we got guns, and we got shields, and all hell broke loose, I guess. So, and again, this is a this is a facility that has 943 inmates housed there on record. So, in these cases, sometimes it's tough to know exactly how many people are there because there was a, a numbers given out, all sorts of different numbers given out by about uh, Wallace County facilities. They went from 500 to, to 1,000 to 1,500 to 2,000. And that was the last numbers I heard about it until the riot broke out, the slave revolt broke out, and then it was 2,800 people. Then it was 2,900, and it was just less than 3,000 people. And then they moved half the people, and, it was, and that half number was 1,436, I believe. So, I mean, who knows how many people are actually there and again, this was just one of the stories that, you know, has come out of South Carolina's prison system in recent years. I mean, it appears that they've been having not only riots, I guess you would say, but they've been having problems. They had they had an incident down there where they had uh a drone, I believe someone tried to fly a, a drone into uh, into the facility carrying contraband on it. I don't know how that ended. I guess they, I guess it was destroyed or it didn't didn't make it in or, or what have you. Um, they've had some sex scandals there with the uh, with the nursing staff, and there's been other riots that were handled, I guess, in this same kind of way, but. We never got the news about them. And in the state, they're blaming this on, of course, you know, on the on the governor and on her staff and, and the, the, the prison's chief. But what they're not talking about at all is the slavery involved. They're not talking about what they're doing to drive these people to actually go off And start these so-called riots. They're not talking about that on any news. They they scott they uh, glazed over it in this news story where she says, you know, that it was a, a search and then we don't know what happened. So, like I said, there's other facilities that have been having issues, and again, they're blaming this on Governor Nikki Haley's administration. Back in June and July of 2014, Lieber Correctional Institution in Ridgeville had a riot. And the reports from Lieber are the same. Inmates have been complaining for however long about medical care, about food, about being abused, about the labor. And when they stopped doing the work, then suddenly it became a riot. In comes the, the riot boys. You know, all hell breaks loose. People end up going to the hospital and people are hurt. They keep it out of the news, basically, and it goes away. So this ties into what I was telling you at the start of the program about what we're looking at coming up with our family 
in St. Clair. This is in Alabama. The news that I've received is that there is to be a passive, peaceful work stoppage, and it's the result of this same type of treatment, the same, all the same conditions, I'm telling you. And I've actually got a press release that says preliminary and long-term list of demands in advance of the shutdown. These demands will be listed in our press release and uh, will serve as a guide for the reasonable terms and conditions that must be met before we consider ending these shutdowns. Included in this list of demands will be the following. Preliminary list of demands is immediate living conditions at St. Clair and immediate improvements to meet current state and federal health safety sanitary standards. See, it's pretty bad when you could just tell them all you got to do is just meet the legal limits. We're protesting for you to meet the legal minimums. State and federal health, safety, and sanitary standards. Immediate improvements in the food and the health care at St. Clair. Immediate restoration of the CAV educational mentor program and resources devoted to providing classes for education, rehabilitation, reentry preparedness, and reducing the violence at St. Clair. Immediate end to the arbitrary discrimination against religions, including restrictions on access to classrooms, equipment, and restrictions on outside sponsors. Immediate reduction in the prison population at St. Clair to relieve severe overcrowding and inhumane living conditions. See, when you build a place to live, you don't think about it so much about prison because you you don't live there right now. And if you've been to jail and you were in there for a day or two and got out, it's not as common, it's not as typical for an individual to, to find themselves in this se- severely overcrowded conditions that most of our state uh, prisons are in, in America. I think I went in one time on a, like a Friday night into the, into the drunk tank or, you know, whatever, after bar, you know, bars and partying or whatever, and we all just kind of end up getting rounded up and whatever. It was a turnaround deal. But when we got there, I do remember seeing, you know, at least a couple hundred guys in a big, you know, uh, in a big bullpen, you know, uh, a, a huge square, a couple hundred people, and they've just been out rounding people up, you know, and, and however it shakes out, whatever they can get on, whoever they can get, those are the charges that'll stick. And so I have seen them there be several hundred men all in one in one pen and one toilet, or I think it was two toilets against the wall, and you know, but that was for like a night. For some people, it may have been for the weekend. Uh, it was a Friday evening, and I'm pretty sure I got out the next morning. But I'm sure there were people that were there and had to face a judge or whatever. I got out on my own recognizance, and you know, as soon as they booked me. But I'm sure there was people there that had to stay until they were able to speak to the judge on Monday through the video conference, or if they drug them into the courthouse. So you could probably hold it <laughs> over a couple of days if you don't feel too comfortable with dropping them and you know doing your business in front of a couple hundred guys if that's not your thing. Or, but can you imagine your living conditions, your day to day? your years, the forever for you. 
whether you're forever is 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 45 years. And the conditions are just getting worse and the population problem is just getting worse. And you maybe had a cell to begin with and now maybe you're in a in a, a converted, you know, workshop area that they put 200 beds in, three bunks tall, a foot and a half apart from each other and put an outhouse out there and, and none of this meets code, standards, legal limitations, anything. But who's checking? Who cares? The eyes are not on this situation. And you know that corruption runs rampant when the eyes are not watching to see what's going on. So these people are protesting for basic living conditions. And we told you Alabama is number three and 180% over capacity. So this is part of their demands. Immediate review of officers' files who have a history of abuse of authority and violence against men who are incarcerated here at St. Clair. And a removal of all officers who are known for abuse, including, and they name the names, Captain Gary Malone, Lieutenant Ronald Carter, Sergeant Hamilton, CO Lukema, immediate order from the Commissioner of Alabama Department of Corrections for all institutions to stop all forms of retaliation and abuse against anyone incarcerated in ADOC for engaging in nonviolent and peaceful protests for legitimate complaints about ongoing civil and human rights violations in and at St. Clair. Long-term conditions for ending permanent shutdowns at St. Clair and throughout the Alabama Department of Corrections, we demand an open and public meeting at St. Clair Correctional Facility with Senator Cam Ward, Senator Vivian Figures, and Commissioner Dunn to discuss all issues contained in the Alabama Freedom Bill, sponsorship, presentation of the Alabama Freedom, Freedom Bill, and all other issues discussed by the Alabama Prison Reform Task Force. So there you have it. This is from the people right there in the heat. And as soon as they started to put this together and say anything about this and start to, to demand what you just heard, basic human rights, it's not like these people are asking for somebody to do them some favors or treat them nicely. Whatever you did, look, if we're a nation of laws on one side, we're a nation of laws all the way around. If we're a nation of, of proper legal process, and if you got to wait and you got to do justice is done this way, and this is a, a nation with a tradition of, of uh, Anglo-American legal jurisprudence, then that works all the way around. That's not selective. That's not just something that you just do for people that you like. And you just get your son's DUI to where he killed four people, dismissed because he was incompetent and it was affluenza. He doesn't understand what he did. He's too affluent. He can't, he's, he's, he can't deal with what happened. You can't have that and then turn around and have people living worse than we treat animals and forcing them into slave labor. 
abusing them. And then retaliating against them when they ask you to stop, when they peacefully protest by stopping the work. See, if it's not slave labor, and if it really is rehabilitation, if, if it really is uh, work programs to help get these gentlemen ready to be productive on the outside and give them a skill, give them a trade, if it really is that, then there shouldn't be a problem when they say, well, you know what, I don't want to be rehabilitated right now. Um, we can get back to rehabilitation after you stop abusing me. That'd be nice if we could do the rehabilitation part after you feed me actual food that my family on the outside is a taxpayer and making sure I'm supposed to get. That'd be great. So that's what we're faced with is people that are, are asking for basic human rights and they're getting retaliation. I've got a, a report from a brother that um was hoping maybe he could call in today and he may still um inbox some information of what he knows of what is going on down there. It says at the present I just know that they converged on the institution in the dawn hours talking about the riot squads that the that the warden brought in and this is a black warden. So you got another black man running the whole operation down there. And several of these guards named off are black men. So he's talking about the riot squads being brought in and we're trying to get more details on what kind of danger our people are in down there and what are they planning to do down there. See, this is what you see. This is you're looking at what's happening before Wallace. We're giving you insight into what happens before Lee Correctional. Before the riot breaks out, we're giving you the details that lead up to it. There's no reports coming out from the inmate side, from the slave side, of aggressions towards officers or against the staff. None. They made it very clear what they're trying to do, what they need, what they're asking for, what they're prepared to go through to get that. It's a very clear and laid out plan and program. And if administration of state government and administration of the Department of Corrections gave a damn about it and terroristic system. Because we saw what happened in Arizona when the ACLU sued. Arizona first got, gave the settlement, first said, well, we didn't, we're going to say in the settlement, that we didn't do anything wrong, first of all. So just get ready for Alabama to say we didn't do anything wrong. And then Arizona said we're going to have to go back to the state and ask for more money so we can do our jobs right. So just get ready for Alabama. When all the smoke clears from this, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to go down. We hope it's a peaceful protest that brings about effective change. Positive change, sustainable, healthy change. That's what we're hoping. But we know these people. And we know what they do. We know what they're about. 
So I'm just trying to set you up to understand what could happen because we've seen it within the last week what happens. And we know that these people are asking for the exact same things. And when these folks are asked for these things, they don't have a history of reacting well. They don't have a history of working with others well. They have a history of bringing in riot squads. And that's what this brother reports. He says in the dawn hours, they come into the institution using their intimidation tactics, threatening people, threatening the workers. And he found out about the work strikes that's supposed to be going on. One of the lieutenants called several of the brothers that are there to help organize it and have some influence there among them and, and try to bring them in and start questioning them about the shutdown. That was on Tuesday. So by Thursday night, they went ahead and sent for the riot team. You see, they got wind of it somehow. They got they got some kind of a something on the wind, and they start questioning people, and they start, you know, going to their snitches possibly, or maybe they were intimidating people. Maybe they start torturing people. Tell us. I mean, hell, they're torturing us on the outside. You think they're above torturing our brothers and sisters on the inside? And they brought in the riot team by Thursday night. The work stoppage doesn't start till March 1st, and they already got their stuff in place. And they're there to intimidate the people, disrupt the nonviolent, peaceful protest for basic human and civil rights. So you heard it here. You heard it here. You heard us talking about it. Spread this around. Download the podcast. Email the, email the links. It's Facebook. Spread it around. Spread the information. Let us be a part of this from the outside by shocking this nation that we know what they're up to. We know what they're doing. So when they come with the news story, we beat that back down to the dust with the lie. The lie they try to tell, we'll be ready with our information to counteract that lie. This is a propaganda war in as much as it is a physical man-on-man battle. It's a propaganda war also. It's the battle for the hearts and the minds of the people in this nation who need to raise up and start to fight against the police state on the inside and the outside. So we know what they're doing, and we know what our people are doing, peacefully trying to bring about changes that can actually help them to survive and do their time, if you want to call it paying their debt to society. They're just trying to survive. So here we have South Carolina police going in, raiding the place, attacking people. Here we got our brothers in Alabama preparing for peaceful protests, and the riot team is already in place. So this is what I want you to think about, and what I need you to do is be a part of the movement. This is an abolitionist daily. This is an abolitionism movement. We are looking to abolish 
modern-day slavery. We're looking to abolish legal slavery, and we stand in solidarity with people who refuse to be enslaved, who refuse to work slave labor for slave wages. So it just got real. It's not entertainment. It's not a joke. This is not satire. It's just got real. It's been real. So you've been listening to the program. It, it's real. What I need you to do, this is a call to action. This is how you can support the strike. And again, this is from one of our organizations. You're welcome to look us up, come find us, or what have you. The Ida B. Wells Coalition Against Mass Incarceration and Prison Slavery. And this is the statement that we're putting out. This is how you can support the strike and help stop the brutality against the prisoners. Number one, call St. Clair Correctional Facilities Warden Carter, Carter Davenport at area code 205-467-2000. That's step one. Call Carter Davenport, 205-467-6111. He is the warden there at St. Clair Correctional Facility, Springville, Alabama. Tell him to stop the retaliation against the prisoners who have a right to peacefully protest against their inhumane treatment. Send an email to the Alabama Department of Corrections. Go to their website. Department of Corrections .state .alus. So that's www.doc.state.al.us. Click on the tab that says Contact Us, and then click where it says Constituent Services. Type in your message, telling them to stop intimidating and retaliating against prisoners, inmates, slaves. Address it to Warden Carter, Davenport, and before you send the message, please sign it. You don't have to give your address. Spread this word to other people. We've got to flood the prison with phone calls and the Department of Corrections down there in Alabama. We've got to flood them with emails. We have got to show a strong grassroots show of force, of solidarity. These are not forgotten people. These are not marginalized individuals. These are not people that are less than humans. We don't want this blood on our hands. The passive and subtle blood that every day passes by when we don't look at what's going on. The everyday, day-to-day -day starvation and brutality and rape and in addition to the slavery, in addition to the labor, day in, day out, for pennies, while your family starves on the outside, you were likely poor when you went inside, destroying our communities. We don't have a community anymore. There is no black community, but there's more black community incarcerated than there is out here on the outside. Because those of us that's making it, for some reason, seem to be assimilated into the larger white community. There is no black community. The people you see living where black people live are in the hood. 
waiting on their turn to be in or out of jail, in or out of some kind of institution, in or out of homelessness, in continual abject poverty, living under terrorist police state tactics, as these cops and revenue agents are out here enforcing the 13th Amendment against slaves and former slaves and future slaves. That's what's going on in black world. You want a black community, support the movement. This is the Abolitionist Daily, and we will be right back. This is Ron Hayes with Hood News, and you're listening to the Black Talk Radio Network. Stay tuned. They use force on inmates. They beat up inmates. They planted evidence or weapons in, 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 in cells. If an inmate was beaten up, presumably if he made a complaint, there had to be some sort of investigation. It would be squashed at, a, at the management level. It wouldn't go any farther than that. It wouldn't go any farther than probably the supervisor of that yard. Donald Bodica is now in hiding. We had to agree his lawyer came to the interview and we couldn't say where we met them. Ever since I broke the code of silence, I've lost everything. I've lost friends that I had associated with the Department of Corrections. I've lost my, some of my family members. I've lost everything. I lost my career. I lost financially. It was devastating. I'm on the move all the time. Why? Because I fear for my life, for my life, for my life, for my life. Welcome back. This is the Abolitionist Daily, and I am your host, Johan and Elia. This is the Black Talk Radio Network. And before we get back into it, uh, I want to mention that we are in uh, the midst of a 2015 fundraiser. So what you've been hearing on this program and on this network is news and information, uh, getting you up to speed and keeping you in the loop and informed with real information, real facts, not a bunch of media fluff, not a bunch of misdirectional bull. I can't hardly even stand to watch the news. I mean, once I learned how to use Google and start digging deeper into links and information and identifying real news sources and sites, I really can't hardly even watch the local news. It's so canned and so dry and just so uninforming. It's basically pointless. It's an oxymoron to call it news because you're not learning anything. Not anything you can use unless you want to be a racist or unless you want to be, I don't know, walking around here thinking that uh, all black people are criminals and black women and their babies are out of control and the economy's doing great and the terrorists are going to get us. I mean, these kind of news. But when you're listening to our our uh, family network, our family of programs and stations that are associated with Black Talk Radio Network, you're listening to real people, real investigative journalists in most cases, researchers, people with years of experience in whatever field it is the program is discussing, professionals. And they care and they, they were willing to sacrifice to put their hat in the propaganda war. 
And it starts from the Black Talk Media Project founder, Scotty Reed, CEO. It starts from him. It goes on down to all the programs on the on the networks. People care enough to sacrifice and give the time to research and the time to to produce these programs and put this information out there. But none of this is free. We only stay on the air because of contributions from the community. So you want a black community? And yes, of course, we want everyone to be because, see, our non-racist friends, our white friends, our Latino friends, our Asian friends, our, our indigenous friends, our Indian friends, our alien friends, whoever, wherever, our people that are our allies, our comrades in the struggle for human rights, for civil rights, for righteousness. Of course, this is called the Black Talk Radio Network because there needs to be a Black Talk Radio Network, to be honest with you. There's no, there should be no point in, in even arguing that. We need to hear the news from our perspective so we can have the conversations that can't be had on Fox. So we can have the conversations that inform you about what actual people that are in the struggle are saying, what actual families that are affected by legislation and criminalization and our judicial branch, our economy, politics, and on and on. And we cover all of these things. And we need you to support the network so we can continue to cover these things and continue to branch out and expand, create jobs for the community. Give a voice to the community, build the community, help give an identity to the community. Give something that you can solidify the community by, an identification of who we are, the programs and the people. Learn about the personalities, learn about the stories that we're telling, learn about the different stations and the, and the content. Learn about organizations you can join so you can unlock your inner activist. So we need you to understand that this is 2015 fundraiser. You can find us on blacktalkradionetwork.com or blacktalkmediaproject.org. Pretty simple. If you need help giving a contribution or don't understand or just need any anything at all, you can email me at the new abolitionist radio at gmail email. If you don't use social media, if you're if you're not too big on the internet, just email me, newabolitionistsradio at gmail.com. I'll give you whatever information you need. Because we need you so we can keep this going, so we can keep helping people. And in the same vein as we were discussing before the break with what is going on in these in these uh prison plantations around the country. Now we go to the other side, where we've been talking about people stopping work. We've been talking about people with the with the the, the uh, revolts and how it's getting spun around to be riots, and these people are acting crazy and all this, or whatever. Now we look at the other side on this side of the show, where on this half we'll talk about the young man that was terminally ill, basically when he was arrested for a minor nonviolent drug violation put in his local county jail and not given any medical treatment, and their provider was Corizon, one of the leaders in the nation. I don't know why they didn't help this guy, but didn't want to help him out. So he went without his medication, without proper treatment for however long it took for him to slowly degrade in health. 
And he cried out and called out to his family and begged someone, anyone, to help him. They didn't help him. They listened to those calls. They monitored those calls. They monitored his mail. They knew who his visitors were. They knew what he was up to. They knew what he was facing. They knew what was going on. And they didn't value his life in the least because they didn't get him any help. And the young man died. So we'll talk about that. And then we're also we're going to open up right now, though, and talk about a story out of the San Francisco Bayview. And it is a story about four people dying in the last two months. And by all indications, it's just business as usual. With Corrections Corporation of America. This is from Anthony Robinson Jr. Shout out to this brother. We've got uh, people that, that work with and for the uh, Bayview and some of these other uh, newspapers and news outlets that really do amazing work to investigate these stories and pass this information on. And that's it's our job to help keep passing that out. It's your job to keep to help keep passing that out. Um, so shout out to this brother. Uh, in the last two months, from December 27th until February 10, 2015, four prisoners have died here at Tallahatchie County Correctional Facility. Now, mind you, Tallahatchie County Correctional Facility is in Tutwiler, Alabama. The new abolitionist reported extensively on the crimes against humanity going on at Tutwiler Women's Prison. So think about it like how you would the situation in Texas when we talked about three jails right there, one next to another, going hand-to-hand -hand from different contracts between different federal organizations and private prison companies and the evil going on, kidnapping people, bringing them across the border so they'd be in violation of the laws and then throwing them in the jail so you can rape them and enslave them, brutalize them. People dying in custody and complaining of being beaten and intimidated and everything else. And I asked you the question about when you have a certain degree of evil going on. See, in your neighborhood where you live, maybe you do live in an area that there's some gunfire or there's some violence going on between citizens. And I'm pretty sure you don't like it. There's parts of town where I live where I know what streets are known for gunfire. I have friends that live in areas that gunfire pops off from time to time, somewhat more regularly than others, and we know these things, and we don't fool around just haphazardly strolling the streets with babies in our arms and walking our grandmothers and, you know, acting like it's a spring day in the park. We understand what's going on. So imagine this is in your city, but imagine these areas where there are three and four and five prisons, prison plantations, all piled up on top of each other. And all in, in, in close relation to one another, men's and women's and immigration facilities and just all kind of incarceration and deprivation and abuses. And I mean, this, you're just like a little magnet for evil in your area. So make that connection of how uncomfortable that makes you feel. 
Think about how dangerous you recognize that to be just from your natural intuition as a human being. You know better than to be in certain areas. You know better than to go fooling around and doing certain things in certain areas because you don't want to have to pay the consequences. You don't want to be on the evening news. But think about yourself being incarcerated, and you have to be where you have to be. But the environment that the staff brings to the job every day, the evil that the individuals that are running the plantation and the work that they're tasked with doing of running a slavery plantation and how evil and depraved such a thing really is. And you're caught in that. You may be a nonviolent person that was convicted of some low-level drug offense. Most of the people in prisons are. You may be a nonviolent person that had some sort of debt you couldn't resolve. A lot of people are. Maybe you passed a bad check. Who knows what you did that was completely nonviolent and probably something that damaged yourself, damaged your own credit, damaged your own credibility. Somewhat victimless crime. There's a lot of them. And they populate our prison system coast to coast. Randall Jordan Aparo was locked up for some sort of check fraud. They maced him to death, chemical maced him and coated him with chemical mace, several cans of it. And when they pulled his dead body away from the wall where he was in a fetal position, hugged up against the wall, begging for his life. There was a nice, convenient outline of a human body in the left on the wall there. About a half inch to maybe an inch thick, it appeared to be, of, of uh, yellow mustard-colored gas that had been sprayed all over his body, coated him and killed him for a nonviolent offense. So when we're talking about these conditions and these situations and how these people are dying, I know I'm not talking to the abolitionist and telling you that you need to turn on, you know, push your empathy button. You need to turn on your human emotion. You need to connect to these stories and to these people. I know the abolitionists already do that, but there's other people that are listening as well. There's other people that this gets introduced to. This will be a podcast somebody will hear and think it's just so, oh, my God, why are you these freaking prisoners, man? Come on. What do you want them running the streets? No, I don't want uh, Randall Jordan Aparo to have stolen my checkbook. No. I don't want them running up my credit card or whatever. No, I don't. No. But if I want him to face justice according to our laws, which I do, what I don't want to happen is for him to end up being murdered by the people that we pay to make sure he's safe while he learns his lesson, pays his debt to society, gets rehabilitated, learns some skills so he can come out, and instead of having to steal, he can get a job. What I don't want him to do is to be made a slave, forced to do a job he never would have got an interview for in the first place on the outside, forced to do that job for 15 cents an hour, went out here on the outside just 10 years ago, it was a $40,000 a year job, 
people had homes and cars and could put up together a little savings, could take vacation occasionally, get married, have a family, save for the kids' college. You know, this is how we built the country, so they tell me. I mean, we're not going to look at the slavery part. I'm talking about the middle class that developed after World War II, and we're not talking about the GI loans and that stuff that wasn't available to blacks. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the mainstream middle America that sprung up after World War II, where everybody had middle class jobs, and the middle class was created, and everybody moved to the suburbs, and everybody was there. That's what you're chasing now, isn't it, right? But those jobs are gone because people like Randall Jordan Aparo, who had bad checks out there, Get to do those jobs for 11 cents an hour for AT&T now. And there's no moving up. There's no job mobility in these positions. See, 15 years ago, he could have gone to go work for AT&T and get in the customer service department and answer the phones and make the calls. And, you know, he's got a great personality and smart kid. Maybe he comes there with his GED and, he, you know, he wants to get, he wants to get his education a little bit higher. He he goes to school, gets his, you know, whatever little degrees moving up, JUCO, night school, goes back to university, whatever. He's moving along, meets a nice girl. They get married, put their finances together, buy a house, buy a car, participate in the economy, have voting rights, participate in the political landscape, make decisions about what goes on in their community, like in Seattle, where they said they didn't want another juvenile jail. And fight with the city council, and then the city council goes ahead and overrules them and builds a jail anyway and takes all the protesters out in shackles. No, he wants to be one of those people that's out here fighting for his right and fighting for his community. But the thing is, there is no AT&T job out here for him. There's no AT&T job. There's no Verizon job. There's no Walmart job. There's no Wells Fargo job. Until he gets locked up for this check charge and he's in prison. Now all these jobs are waiting for him. And he gets to work them for 11 cents a day. And he gets to put that towards the, the $1,800 or whatever worth of checks he wrote or whatever his amount was. He gets to put those 11 cents an hour for the next two years against that. And he comes out with the, the house arrest bracelet like we talked about earlier this week. And he's got to pay them a couple hundred bucks a week. and. So it's an ongoing cycle. So this is what these people are facing. So here, with this story, they're talking about it, Tallahatchie. When these people died in custody, and I'll tell you their stories here in just a second, but just understand before we even start, these four people are sent from California. So this is evidence of human trafficking because it's being done for profit. It's being done against their will. This is the modern-day slave block. Have you seen the pictures where they got the slaves in the chains, mama, daddy, babies? And they got this crowd of entrepreneurial gents bidding. And the babies go here, and mama goes here, and daddy goes here all different places around the country, and they never see each other again. See, this is slavery because this is what they're doing right now. All four of these cases I'm about to tell you about are in Alabama because the state of California is contracted with Corrections Corporation of America to empty out the 200% overcrowded California prisons. 
And this is how Eric Holder gets away with telling you that the federal roles have been reduced for the first time in 32 years. This is how the reform profit for reform pimps are able to tell you what a great job they're doing and you should contribute because we're lowering the numbers. Yeah, you're sending the numbers somewhere else. You're shipping people out to somewhere else. So the families of all four of these people who are from California had to pay to have the bodies of their loved ones shipped back from Tallahatchie to California. Neither the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation nor CCA would foot that bill. Now, mind you, they're making tons of money off the person. That's straight cash flow for them. They didn't mind paying the airfare to ship them out there so they could put them on a slave camp in Tallahatchie. But they sure as hell ain't sending them back so you can bury them. So our first story, Steve Lee, excuse me, was an Asian-American man around 56 years of age who had spent over 15 years in prison and was due to be released April, April 2015. He lost his life because a correctional counselor by the name of Strong gave him a directive to prop some chairs on top of a flimsy table so he could take down some Christmas decorations. In the process of taking down the decorations, he was unsupported by a ladder or another human being. And Steve fell off the chair. As a result of slipping off the chair, he cracked his head, and he had to be put on life support until it was decided that they should just go ahead and pull the plug because he was dead. He's given a directive to do that. Nobody's culpable. It's nobody's fault. I mean, so, you know, Tyrone Madden, prisoner number F. Dash 92969 was an African-American man intending to play a pickup game of basketball and collapsed due to a seizure. The medical staff's response was so inadequate due to indifference and lack of training that after fumbling with their own oxygen tanks and other equipment and finally arriving on the scene, they were not even equipped with the knowledge that during a seizure, Tyrone had to be placed on his side that he wouldn't swallow his tongue. It was a lieutenant who finally placed Tyrone on his side after the prisoners were yelling for medical staff to do so. How is it that a lieutenant who isn't properly trained in medical responses is even involved with medical emergencies? It's ridiculous. But it gets worse, of course. Says these lives were lost due to in, uh, indifference, unprofessionalism, lack of adequate training. Says for too long the measure of human lives for, from poor demographics or environments such as prison has been cut off from the metrics of humanity, and we all have suffered for it. Yes, we have. You see that the level of humanity has been degraded out here in the public sector as well. And this is your fault if you are indifferent to what happens to these people. See, you don't have to believe the Bible. You don't have to believe uh, uh, scriptures and in holy books and whatnot. There's philosophies of all sorts that tell you that the least among you 
sets the tone for how all of you will be treated. So look, this is what you do to the least among you. I've been telling you since this program has been on the air. We've been telling you since New Abolitionist Radio has been on the air. Somebody was telling you for decades before any of us even knew to look in this direction. And it's not mainstream, and it's not popular, and it's not picking up a whole lot of steam for some reason. But look where you're at on the outside now. Look at us now. Police state. Militarized police response. Future weapons. Black sites. Torture. Off-the-radar murders. Constant, constant barrage of no-knock warrants and raids at wrong addresses and victimizing the wrong people, grandmothers being shot and killed, grandfathers being killed in their beds, crippled people, little babies, flashbangs in the crib, burning their faces off. And then law enforcement ain't going to pay those medical bills, $800,000 worth of medical bills for burning a baby's face off with a flashbang at the wrong place and the wrong people that wasn't even there. But it all started inside the prisons. They perfected it. It started in our foreign wars. They perfected it. The torture. The inhumanity. And they bring it right on home. And here we are setting ourselves up, not in league with, but against the people. They could be some of our strongest warriors. They have the least to lose of any of us. The incarcerated individuals on the slave plantations. No, I'm not talking about letting everybody out, violent offenders, rapists, pedophiles, murderers, arsonists, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm not talking about that. No, that's not what I'm talking about. We've found numbers again and again that estimate anywhere from 20 to 17% is all these people represent. And we're talking about 2.3 million in the prisons. Then you add in the probation and parole. Then you add in the regular in and out of jail and the house arrest and the fines and the back and forth in the cycle for years behind little or nothing. You have allies. You have comrades in arms. But not displaying any empathy towards people and caring about their stories and spreading their stories at your at your dinners and at your picnics and at your water cooler at work and at your altar. And it's your Bible study night. Oh, we have a prison ministry. There's a nice old couple that's been going for years out to one of the prisons to, to pray with those guys and to, and to read the Bible with those people. We've got a prison ministry. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's an old guy and um, some other guy, and they go uh, once a month out there and they. This is what it amounts to. I mean, this is what I've seen all of my life. This is what it amounts to. This is our response to rampant abuses and tortures, deaths. So these people suffer every day, and then your 2,000-member church sends one person every three weeks for a half an hour, and that's enough. So we have to get serious about caring about these people who are dying in custody because like I said, and like this article says, 
We all have suffered because the humanity of these people has been violated to no end, and our own humanity is now on the line. As evidence of their admission on the part of the wrongful death of Steve Lee, CCA tried to bribe Asian Americans and others from in-building Section A with a chicken and pizza feast, which I'm proud to say they denied with a rebel yell that spoke volumes to the fact that incarcerated lives matter. Can you imagine being offered chicken as recompense for the wrongful death of a fallen brother? Yeah, I think a lot of people can. There's a lot of people out here doing a lot of dirt right now for buttered biscuits, as they call them. Increase rations. This is a slave plantation, so what do they do? What do they bring to you? What they brought to slaves back in the day? Increased rations. Do you find that to be coincidental? Or are you in reality and see that they haven't changed their mentality? You may think something else is going on, but they ain't no slavery is going on. And back in the Frederick Douglass days, he told you in his autobiography what they do on the slave plantation. In the history in this country of the holiday season even is included in it. Knowing that you must give these people some sort of event to all their pent-up frustrations for the year, you give them something to look forward to as the holiday, and they can take a week off, and they can pop off some steam, and they can eat all the biscuits and drink all the molasses and drink all the liquor they want, and hopefully they'll calm down, and then you can put them right back into slavery again to start off the year. Well, these people witnessed the murder. And here they come with the rations. Okay, we've got a call from a sister, I believe, uh, this one of the guests that I want to speak to today. We're going to take a break. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is your host, Johan and Elia. Uh, we'll come back from the break. We'll open up the call, and uh, hopefully we'll be getting some good information about what's going on with the uh, Free Mississippi Movement. The police the same way. They put this club upside your head and then turn around and accuse you of attacking them. Every case of police brutality against a Negro follows the same pattern. They attack you, bust you all upside your mouth, and then take you to court and charge you with assault. What kind of democracy is that? What kind of uh, freedom is that? What kind of social or political system is it when a black man has no voice in court, has no nothing on his side other than what the white man chooses to give him? My brothers and sisters, we have to put a stop to this. And it will never be stopped until we stop it ourselves. They attack the victim. And then the criminal who attacked the victim accuses the victim of attacking him. This is American justice. This is American democracy. This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Welcome back. This is the Abolitionist Daily, and I'm your host, Johan and Elia. This is the Black Talk Radio Network that you are tuned into. We've been discussing today uh, various 
slave uprisings and revolts across the country, mostly resulting from uh, inhumane treatment and deaths and forced labor for slave wages. In some cases, not even treatment that matches up to the federal and state standards that are set and put in place to protect people's lives. And we are on the hook as the taxpayers to continue to provide this and provide the salaries and the retirement funds and all this stuff for these people that are doing it. And these are our family, sisters and brothers and loved ones and comrades and whatnot that are locked up and in these conditions. So we have uh, on the line, I believe, a sister that is in the struggle herself and fighting on the front lines. And we were able to correspond through uh, social media. And I definitely encourage her to give us a call. Uh, sister, are you on the line with us? Hello. It's possible she may have muted her phone. We'll give her a second to see if she's still there with us. At, uh, at any rate, we were talking before the break about <clears throat> the uh, deaths that, that happened at Tallahatchie. And um, we were just before the break, we were discussing how they are, they had bribed these people to not say anything about what they saw. And the bribe was a chicken and pizza feast, reportedly. And we were talking about how it's not a, a, a small thing that these people would be bribed this way because on slave plantations, that's how they've always bribed people with extra rations. So let's try, uh, let's try to reach our caller again. Hello. Are you, are you available? Uh, Johannan, uh, I'm not available right now. I'll chime oh, okay. back in. And once this is a uh, Rob out of Wisconsin, I had a question. Oh, for okay. You. All right, brother. Well, just, uh, just, uh, hang on there with us. And, and when you're ready, we'll, we'll come back to you. So what we're seeing is the same techniques and tactics that have been used on slave plantations forever. And they're using them again. He says this is a blatant attempt to pay off witnesses and by silence by a corporation that has been exposed for its intent to put profits over humanity. We must understand that the structured forms of protesting that we have been practicing have not yet uh, not yielded the humane results that we seek, but have only reinforced the plurality of conditions suffered by not making the proper rebuttals to the systemic causes of our oppression. So we tried to do it this way and it's not working. And then we're not listening to the people that are caught up in it and telling you it's not working. And you're not listening to the experts that get paid and have been educated to tell you whether it works or not, who are saying it's not working. And it's increasing and it's more and more expansive. But see, the thing is that even though the author of this article may not realize because the way that he worded it, I wondered if he maybe does not realize. And I know that the mass public does not realize that what we're dealing with is not a system of incarceration necessarily from that. You shouldn't look at it from that standpoint. The incarceration is just a, 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 a facade. It's just a mechanism to put in place the real thing, which is slavery. So, of course, it has expanded the inhumanity, and we haven't rehabilitated. Of course. Of course, reform is not having 
real effects. Because you're not dealing with what you think you're dealing with. It's basic science. It's just basic science. We're, we're trying to put together compounds. And we think we've got ingredients and different chemicals and elements and whatnot we're working with, but we're really not, we don't know what we're working with. We're not dealing with crime entirely. Not in 70 to 80% of the cases, especially when you see the decriminalization of marijuana expanding across the nation. So let's just take those people out. Washington, wherever parts of California, Colorado, I believe D.C. recently, but they might be fighting that one in other states. See, now, because of what the book says, you're not even dealing with criminality. If it's criminal, it's criminal. And you were never dealing with criminality. You were dealing with prohibition. You can compound all of the deaths that result from the use of marijuana, heroin, methamphetamines, cocaine, whatever. And you can combine all of those deaths, according to the CDC reports every year, and you still wouldn't have a third of the deaths that result from alcohol, tobacco. Hell, if you can expand it to understand and to figure out and to connect directly to sugar. Look how many people are dying from diabetes. Heart conditions. It's no prohibition of diet. And the mass majority of people that die in this country die from a bad diet. Not from using recreational drugs. But it is DNA number one by far, by 10, 15, 20 times as many as the next crime, the number one way people get incarcerated. And they hide it because they've added all these little riders and binders to it. And they've got these little things they add to say, well, uh, you got caught with a dime bag, but we found a we found a Swiss Army knife in your ashtray. So uh, guess what, buddy? We're violating you now, felony. This is no longer a nonviolent. So when you get people to combat with the, the, the argument we make about nonviolent drug-related offenses, just understand they're trying to fight that based on these little tiny peculiarities of the law that have been added to hyper-criminalized, nonviolent, non-criminal individuals and justify increasing their budgets, justify their job mobility as prosecutors, justify stacking up charges on top of people, with efforts like stop, question, and frisk that show an amazingly small number percentage of people after millions of people are being harassed by this, a very small number of people that are actually committing any crimes for which they can actually effectively be prosecuted. But in all of those 2.4 million people they were cycled through that system. Look at the hundreds of millions of dollars that that generated. All the overtime, all the justifying new cops on the street, all the new equipment, all their contracts with their equipment manufacturers, and all the, the mechanics that got to do more work, oil changes on these cars. I mean, everybody is feeding off of the slavery trough. 
and it goes up the line, the prosecutors, and they hire more prosecutors, and the office expands, and there's more people with more jobs in the office, and then more people get to prosecute more of these ticky-tack little, and they can't get anything out of it, and so now they're just going in and putting people in Rikers, so now there's more guards in Rikers. And in spite of the reports that come out, in spite of the lies that the staff tells directly to Eric Holder in the Attorney General's office about the brutality going on in Rikers, they fire a couple of people and they move on. And then more people die. And more corruption goes. So when this article says, makes a statement like this, understand that that's what he's, he's, he's addressing. When he says that what we, the way we've been protesting has, has been practicing and have been practicing has not yet yielded the humane results that we seek, but have only reinforced the plurality of conditions suffered by not making the proper rebuttals to the systemic causes of our oppression. But you have to identify that the systemic causes of your oppression stems from slavery. Once you do that, everything else makes sense. He says, to the, uh, to the people of true humanity and civil merit and those individuals, organizations, and firms who profess to work towards civil rights and humanity, we need your work, assistance, and efforts now. Will you be on the wrong side of history? We need a mobilized, concrete effort to accompany your protest signs and hands-up movements. If the only expense you are willing to afford to this civil rights struggle is the cost of paint and markers used to decorate your signs, then your movement has failed before the paint smeared on your hands dries. In Tallahatchie County Correctional Facility, CCA is in violation of numerous human rights and prisoners' rights and regularly commits fraud and, con and contractual negligence violations. We need lawyers and paralegals willing to take on CCA and the CDCR for their federal 1983 civil rights suits and tort claims violations. One of the violations CCR and CDCR have been so emboldened in allowing such gross negligence in these violations to parade through the institutions is that the cost-effective tactic to make a profit is measured against what they deem as the expense of true rehabilitation. See, he's all over slavery, and he doesn't realize it, I don't think. I have to talk to this brother person to person to somehow get in contact with him to see, do you realize what you're saying? Because he just broke it down for him, for his own self. The gross negligence and the violations that are going on are going on because they're justifying that what they do is cost effective. Versus caring or giving any dams at all about the true expense of rehabilitation. Number one, people aren't necessarily needing rehabilitation. When you're talking about immigrants, CCA, the, 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 uh, Main money that they're generating is from government contracts with ICE and the U.S. Marshal Service. We know this. One of the main things they're doing is profiting off of the quote-unquote border crisis. We told you about federal cases numbering over 90,000 federal cases per year. By far, immigration is the most, the most common federal case in our in our federal courts right now and these are the people that profit from it so there's no need for rehabilitation stop the drug war stop destroying mexico and their economy stop destroying america and our economy and our communities there's your rehabilitation being suddenly everybody's rehabilitated bring back the jobs this slavery has taken on inside the prisons. 
suddenly everybody's rehabilitated. So we had 200,000 or so people in, in this country in prisons for 150 years. Then magically, everybody turned into a damned criminal. It just out of nowhere. We don't know what happened. One day we woke up, and everybody was just a damn criminal. And we had to just more prisons and more prisons and more legal and more. We got just more, more, more slavery. So Tallahatchie and these deaths is just one little dot on the map of what is going on systematically around our nation. And this CCA and GOMTC, these companies are taking this American brand of slavery, the only one that was not legally abolished, that was not ended by law, but actually made a state institution by law here in America with the 13th Amendment. We're the only ones that kept it, and now we're the ones exporting it back around the world in this new form, and nobody around the world is figuring it out, just like people here don't know what the hell is going on. Australia has taken on slavery. Don't even realize it. UK has taken on slavery. Don't even know what's going on. South Africa, Israel, And on and on. They're exporting it through these private companies, and it's slavery. So, again, I'll put the link to this young man's article, and, and you can read more about these stories and go into more depth about what has gone on in Tallahatchie, CCA. But I want to make sure I, I get into this uh, story before we run out of time about this young man, Matthew Laughlin, who died at the uh, Chatham County Detention Center last spring. He was arrested for, for nonviolent drug-related offense and found himself in the county jail. He went in knowing he had a bad heart. His family knew he had a heart ailment. Kind of like Randall Jordan Aparo, he had an actual blood disease. He had an actual disease. And he complained to the medical staff, I just need the basic treatment I need so I can survive. And they could give a damn. I'm not going to do anything to treat you. If you're so sick, then die. We'll believe you're sick when you die. It appears to be the mentality. It appears to be the standard that these people operate by. Because when we report on these on these stories, this is what they're doing to people, is they're denying them medical treatment until they do, in fact, die. And then it's, oh, well, we just cover it up. Shout out to Woody Myers, another black man caught up in this, the CEO of Corizon. And these health providers did let people die. And so that's what we got going on here with Matthew Laughlin. In a series of phone calls to his parents, Matthew was recorded, and they put the recording out here now uh, for the world to hear, where he's begging his family, telling them, you know I've got a bad heart. They won't take me to a hospital. I'm dying. He's talking to his father. 
her father asked him, why don't they take it to the hospital? I don't know. It just hurts. It hurts. I'm coughing up blood. My feet are swollen. It hurts. I'm going to die in here. See, I've already appealed to your humanity. I've already gone into depth of explaining and, and putting it out there for you so you can paint the picture and really see it and feel it and care about it. I've done that with all of these stories. All of these are human beings. All of these were somebody's son, somebody's daughter, somebody's father, somebody's uncle, somebody's homeboy. These are real people, actual individuals. I am somebody. Do you think I want this to happen to me? Somehow I get caught up in there, God forbid. Y'all just not going to give a damn? I'm I'm gone? This is a somebody. This is a somebody. He's talking to his family on the phone. He's begging them to please help, and they can't do anything to help. They didn't know about an Ida B. Wells coalition against mass incarceration and prison slavery. They didn't know about move to abolish 21st century slavery. They didn't know about the new abolitionist movement. They didn't know how to get a call to action out, a free Alabama movement, a free Mississippi movement. And this is the danger you run when you marginalize these grassroots efforts, when you remain indifferent, when you remain incredulous, when you hear the evidence presented, when you don't do your tiny part that you can do to spread the information, this is the risk that you run. Is when it's your time, you've got no systems in place. DeAndres Woods comes to mind. His mother went to court and saw him, 18-year-old boy, accused of stealing a Star Wars DVD from Walmart. And he sat in jail. He had a cut on his foot to turn into gangrene. And his mother saw him in court, and her son went into jail. He was, I think, 6'3", 270, 280, big boy, football player, wrestler. And she saw him in court after a couple of months passed. He got arrested in June. He went to he, uh, went to court by August, and the foot had turned gangrenous by that time. And he gets wheeled in in a wheelchair. He wasn't walking. That was her first sign. He never made eye contact with her. His head was limp and just laying to the side, and his eyes were glazed over, and he did not make eye contact. He never spoke. And she asked, somebody help my son. What's going on with my son? She tried to get to her son. They held her back, told her, you don't have the right to say nothing to him or get close to him or whatever. They wheeled him back out that little side door, put him back in the transport, and took him back to jail. They got him back in the cell. He smelled like shit. They thought he had soiled himself. They pulled out a water hose, took off all his clothes, washed him down, ignored that foot completely black and dead and rotting, and left him in the cell. And that's how he died, naked in a jail cell, washed down with a water hose. Because his mother wasn't connected to somebody that could connect to somebody that could connect to a bunch of somebodies and make some moves. And these people weren't connected to some somebodies that could make some moves and save their son. So he kept complaining. He kept crying. And he died. Plain and simple. Three former Corizon employees, a doctor and two nurses, filed a First Amendment whistleblower claim against Corizon in November, alleging they also alleging that they also pleaded with their superiors 
and with the Chatham County Sheriff, Al St. Lawrence, to transfer Laughlin to the hospital. After 10 days, the health care providers say they were able to use a loophole to circumvent their superiors at Corizon and get them get him to a hospital on April 7th. Laughlin went into shock and was declared brain dead at the hospital on the same day. Oh, now they feel helpless. This is their testimony. You feel helpless. You feel like, you know, these weeks that you're fighting to get people out and doing the best you can, it just doesn't feel good. Yeah, it don't feel good to be dead. Don't feel good for your son to die in jail behind a dying bag of weed. Don't feel good for you to have to bury your baby. Because Woody Myers' company just signs contracts for health care, but they don't provide any. And they ignore 660 malpractice lawsuits against them around the nation. So that's what we're dealing with. So this young man is dead and gone. They got a $15 million wrongful death claim filed by his parents. You know, do the usual, the typical, the whatever. And like I said before, when Corizon gets their money from contracting with the state, that effectively makes you the one that pays these lawsuits. Because where else are they getting the money from? When these contractors have to pay out these lawsuits, Geo Group, part of the lawsuit that had to pay out $40 million to the man they killed in their prison before MTC stepped in and bought it out, the largest wrongful death lawsuit in America at the time, Geo Group gets their money from you. George Zoli was listed as the A number one highest paid government employee in America because from 2008 to 2012, he earned well over $20 million through government contracts with his company, the Geo Group. So that's how you pay those lawsuits. We got to do better, people. We got to link up. We got to connect. We got to spread the word. We got to spread information. We got to help people. We got to be vigilant. We got to be long suffering. We got to dig in. We are at war. They are warring on us. We don't have to keep walking around with our heads in the sand and acting like we don't know. We've seen the degradation of the quality of life here on the outside of the free world. We've seen it happen on our side. And it's a result of the complete collapse of humanity on the inside, in and outside of our borders. The complete collapse of any humanity whatsoever has brought about what we are dealing with right now. So let me move on. Our unexplainable black death profile for today is a brother named Tommy Yancey. He was, as I said in the intro, a military man and a father and by all accounts a good human being. Served his tours proudly, learned his skills, paid his bills, paid his taxes, did it by the book. Father of two U.S. Army veteran. And the way he left this mortal coil was a basic traffic stop that plenty of people were able to see. But they weren't able to help him. They were able to videotape it, but they weren't able to help him. 
Tommy Yancey was driving on Mother's Day when a California Highway Patrol officer pulled him over for a routine stop. But the incident ended with the Iraq and Afghanistan veteran pleading for an ambulance as officers beat him to death. The full details of the incident are just as startling, are just now starting to emerge, and at the time it registered little more than a blip in local media and nothing on the national media radar. A local newspaper, the Imperial Valley Press, wrote a short piece about the man's family raising money, noting that the 32-year-old Yancey died following an altercation with law enforcement during a traffic stop May 11th in Imperial. The circumstances around his death and the traffic stop are still under investigation by the California Highway Patrol. But over the weekend, more details emerged about the death of Mr. Yancey, and a video posted to YouTube showed the incident. While the footage was difficult to see, there was more information posted to the video's description. The video noted that Tommy Yancey is a father of two who served in the 259th Field Service Unit in both Iraq and Afghanistan and returned home suffering from PTSD. Friends and family described Yancey as a loving father and a jokester, one who stayed in touch with his friends. They also shed some light on the incident itself, claiming that Yancey was pulled from his car, which from the video was a very nice Chrysler 300 with big old look like 22s on it, and they had his trunk popped, and you could see a big, huge stereo speaker box in the back, tinted windows, and here he is, a nice-sized, buff black dude in a sweet-looking ride. Got to pull him over. Got to make him pay. What are you doing with this car, boy? Why are you so clean? Don't give a damn about you being in the military. We ain't brothers here. Like the cop in Minneapolis told the, told the dude. He's in the mall. He's minding his own business in the skywalk. Told the dude, I'm just here to pick up my kids, man. Told a, a female officer. What are you doing here? I'm just here to pick up my kids. And then she calls him back up. Here comes the male officer. Brother, I'm just picking. I'm not your brother. Pow. You better wake up, man. So Tommy Yancey pulled over on the side of the road. Cops bringing the canine. Now he's like Brother Milton. Killed up there in Michigan. Shot by, I think it was eight or nine cops lined up in a firing squad. Brought in the canines. And, you know, this is what they do to people. Because it's what they're doing to people in the prisons. So they figured they could do it to you out here. Hell, you on your way to prison, or you should be. So that's Brother Yancey, beat to death, asphyxiated, finally called out the ambulance. They couldn't save him. He's dead right there on the spot. It's all caught on tape. America. So that's our unexplainable black death profile. And that's our program for today. We're out of time. Shout out to the Free Alabama Movement. Shout out to the family, the new abolitionist family. Have a good weekend. Check the page, Abolitionist Daily. We will have all the links up. If you need anything, email me at newabolitionistsradio at gmail.com, and I will send you whatever I can. Expand the movement, put the information out there, say a prayer for the free Alabama Alabama movement, the brothers of St. Clair, because they're about to go to war with this beast. Peace to the abolitionists and death to these oppressors. I started in slave ships. Hey, what? Wait, 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 wait. Slave ships. 
There are more records of slave ships than one would dream. It seems inconceivable. Until you reflected for 200 years, ships sailed carrying cargo and slaves. Man, 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 violence. In the face of the violence that we've been uh, experiencing for the past 400 years, is actually doing our people a disservice. In fact, it's a crime. It's a crime. Here come the drums. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.